0: Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams.
1: Hello and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is author and former hedge fund manager, Joel Salomon. Joel, thank you for being with us today. Ellen,
0: thanks so much for having me. I really do appreciate it.
1: Yeah, this is going to be fun. And I have to say that it's not every day that I have somebody on the show who, like you, has walked away from a, a lucrative career to become an author who wants to help people um, but th- that's, I guess, why your story is so fascinating. So um, I'd like to start by asking you about your book. Um, what is it, and why did you decide to write it? Well,
0: I, the book is called Mindful Money Management, Memoirs of a Hedge Fund Manager, and I really wanted to share with the world lessons I learned about money and managing money while being a hedge fund manager. But I also wanted to share mindfulness practices that I used while managing money to help me deal with various emotions, mostly some negative ones while I had that I had while I was managing money. So I guess the main reason I wrote the book was I wanted to share with others the growth that occurred as I became more self-aware and a more spiritual person and while also gaining knowledge about investments and i wanted to talk with people about acting as if about unconditional happiness and about using intuition using your beliefs to make money
1: well i i feel like there are many things that you just said that we're going to have to explore a little bit further But I guess it would probably make the most sense to step back in time to before you wrote the book and before you shut down the hedge fund and maybe before you started to embrace um, some of this mindset work or spiritual beliefs. You said that um, your divorce, you you, you know, years ago you, you got divorced and you said that that was kind of a wake up call because you weren't living your life perhaps in the way that you um, in, in perhaps the most optimal way.
0: Correct. I and, mean, you know, I think a lot of times when there's a traumatic change, people can go one of two ways. They can give up or they can try to become a better person. And I went the latter route and, and realized that I can change for the better. And I think, and I, I say this in my book, my former wife was my greatest teacher. I've learned so much from her both during and after the marriage that I've become a much better person because of it. And so it led me on a journey. In fact, my former mother-in-law gave us a book called The Secret, which we started reading before we got divorced. And I continued reading it after the divorce and, and that book, along with another book that a woman gave me that I started uh, dating in February of o eight uh, thinking of rich by Napoleon Hill, those two books really started me on a journey that has gotten me to where I am today
1: yeah you know it's it's really interesting because you came from this um, money world this you you had a hedge fund. And it's not often that we think about, um, I guess, that kind of lifestyle or life or um, career as being in line with um, spiritual growth or giving back. Or and, and it's probably just my own prejudices that are causing me to even say this. But there is something about money. You know, a lot of people have these negative preconceptions about it. And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about mindset around money and did you have to shift your mindset around money or is there something like a common um, like negative um, energy around money that you find in a lot of people that you're maybe able to help them get past?
0: Absolutely, Aaron. So I didn't mention, but I am a prosperity coach now. Some people have called me a money shrink and my real lofty, the goal is to help at least 100,000 people become financially free. So I'm I'm working with my clients to help identify and overcome their roadblocks standing in the way of personal financial freedom. And I think it's very rare that people talk about what they learned about money growing up subconsciously early on in their life between the ages of 0 and 10. And and sometimes this is stopping them from taking action. It's it's stopping them from investing. They're living in fear. In fact, I met somebody recently who said to me, well, the stock market's risky. I'm not going to invest there. So there are a lot of issues that that are developed early on in life that people really don't focus on. And I've met a number of people through my coaching that have a what I call a poverty consciousness or A poverty mindset. And even though they're close to financial freedom, they believe that they're running out of money. So in my prosperity coaching program, I have a few different modules. But I think one is the investment education module. But I think the second module, which is all about mindset and and how to act as if you already are financially free and how to improve your money mindset and how to develop your intuition, all of that is a very important piece to overcome the negative energy that a lot of people have around money. And I talk to people all the time that believe that it's bad to have money, but if you have a ton of money, think about all all the great things you could do with it. You could, you know, help cure cancer, or heart disease, you could give to a charity that um, does some of those things or helps uh, you know, people who are starving in, in, in the United States or in Africa not starve. I mean, there's many great things you can do with money if you have uh, excess. And I teach people that it's actually good to have a lot of money, that you can be spiritual and be rich.
1: Yeah, they're absolutely not exclusive. I I completely agree with you. I just I do think a lot of people have hang-ups around that. So it's good to hear you talk about it. And what a couple of times you've mentioned acting as if. So acting as if you have money before you have money or if you don't have money. I want you to talk a little bit more about that because <clears throat> you know, sometimes when people have oh, I don't know, bills to pay and and they're perhaps struggling to make ends meet or to, um, achieve, to get the things they want or do the things they want. It can be very stressful and it can be very difficult working through those kinds of situations. So what do you, what do you mean acting as if, is it just a like pretend situation or, or what do you mean? And why is it um, something that people should consider doing? That's a
0: great question, Ellen. So Acting as if is acting as if what you want has already occurred. And I talk a lot about thoughts becoming things. Thoughts are things from Napoleon Hill's Thinker Rich or Mike Dooley's Infinite Possibilities, his first chapter is Thoughts Become Things, the New York Times bestselling book that Mike Dooley wrote. So I, I talk about this in my, my book as well. And I'll, I'll just give you a, a quick story from my days of starting my hedge fund. And it was December, 2012. I had made the decision to start my fund. I had been marketing and two insurance companies that both agreed to give me money to invest for them. And i moved into commercial real estate space in midtown Manhattan, which wasn't expensive. I had hired a lawyer a hedge fund lawyer, which also wasn't inexpensive, and various other service providers all set to go. And both insurance companies backed out that month of December 2012. They had orally agreed, but they did not write anything, give us money. And so here we are. I had committed a lot of my own personal money um had committed to a one-year lease in midtown manhattan and i had no money and no investors so i could have given up but i acted as if we already had the money how did i do that i hired an analyst and we every morning in january 2013 acted as if we already had the money we talked about the stocks that we had already invested in. We had talked we talked about the stocks that we expected to go down, shorting. We expected we talked about the stocks that we expected to go up. We went to conferences, we met with companies. I even calculated the amount of money, quote unquote, that we had made as if we had already been invested. And of course I was also going out meeting with potential investors, but I was spending a lot of time acting as if we already had the money, day in and day out, and within two months, we had another oral commitment, and I decided to go even more crazy by interviewing a chief financial officer, and we actually hired her again without actually having the money, and We did additional other things of acting as if, and we got the money in June of 2013. But I truly believe that without having that mindset of acting as if you already have what you want, you really get what you want.
1: That's an incredible story. And I, I, I just have so many questions. You know, I, I can imagine people saying, well, that's crazy. You took so much risk or whatever. So I want to ask you about that. Like, when is it, is it is it ever not appropriate to do that or do you ever caution people to you know do that with limitations um but my other question is you must have had some kind of fear and doubt at some point in there how did you deal with that
0: absolutely had fear and doubt and to answer the first part of the question i don't think you can dream too big um there's a great book um uh, I, I think it's called Dream Big or Dream big, Bigger. It's it's just so powerful. But my recommendation is to, to dream as big as you can. I don't think you can dream too big. But yes, I absolutely had doubts and fears throughout those months. And I teach people, my clients, to doubt the doubt. Why is the doubt right? What? Why is the fear correct? And why as in the belief and faith correct. So I spent a lot of time doubting the doubt and overcoming the the fears I had those few months. And I I had an inner gut feel, intuition, because truthfully, it it had been a long-term dream of mine to start a hedge fund. If you had asked me probably 20 years earlier, Back in 1993, I would have told you my dream job is to be managing other people's money, whether it be in a mutual fund or a hedge fund form. But managing other people's money was my dream job. So I had this intuition or gut feel or sixth sense that this was right and somehow it was going to work out. And that's something I guess you can be taught and i teach people how to use their intuition over time but it's it takes time you have to develop it and and that's one of the things that that's in the second module about how to how to use and develop your intuition just like any other muscle just like you're exercising your bicep when you're doing curls in the gym you can exercise your intuition so yes i had doubt yes i had fears but doubt the doubt and you can you can achieve your dreams i actually have a story In the in the book as well about doubting the doubt Uh, when I when I was an actuary and wanted to become a hedge fund manager and lots of people doubted that I could ever go from being an actuary at an insurance company, which was actually touted as the best job in the United States at the time, to you know becoming a, a money manager and people were doubting me, friends, family, and so on, but I really was very confident that that was a dream that I was going to achieve and i even before becoming much more spiritual over the last ten years back back in the nineties, I doubted the doubt back then and and it took a lot longer It, it probably took me fifteen years to get, get to be a uh, hedge fund manager at Citigroup but I continue to have a path to that dream and and worked hard to get there all the time
1: so then why so you you built this hedge fund you you had this big dream, and um you know did did that whole thing you're acting as if you made it happen it it you realized you know what you were imagining all that this time and you were successful. so why shut it down why Why did you shut down the fund?
0: That's a great question. Ellen, so it was December 2015. My hedge fund had been doing okay. We were up 10% in just six months, in 13, we were up another percent in 14, similar to the overall market in 2014. And we weren't really taking much of the market risk. We were pretty well hedged. But there was a big but. We had not raised a ton of money, and we did need to raise more money in 2016 to become significantly profitable. And I was thinking about this in November and December of 15. And I received an email promoting a course that seemed to be right in alignment with what I needed. It was all about getting your business to the next level and how to better market your business and how to inspire your customers and how to inspire your employees and get new investors. It sounded exactly what I needed. So I, I went down to this course in Florida in late December 2015. And two things happened at at that course. The first was that we were all given an exercise called Obstacles or Illusions. And there were about 200 people in this course. We were all given a wooden board. It was about two inches thick. And we were told we were going to break this board with our bare hands. And we had to fill out these permission slips, the The man who was leading the course went through 45 minutes explaining all the potential risks and we practiced and practiced. And so on one side, we wrote our biggest obstacle and the other side, we wrote our goal. And I wrote my biggest obstacle was raising enough money for my hedge fund to be wildly profitable. And then I wrote on the other side my goal, which was making everyone in this room financially free. And I then broke the board, like pretty much everybody else in the room. So that was one thing that happened. And then the second thing that happened at that course was we had a guest speaker on the second day who was teaching us about stocks and stock options. And... I found not only when this speaker was speaking, but when other people talk about stock options, they talk about how you can make a lot of money in options and there's very little risk or nothing at all. They say statements like options have unlimited upside, and you can trade them from anywhere, and it's very little time and little startup costs, and rich people have made tons of money in options. And I I felt really sick to my stomach because While many of those statements are true, it's also true that options are not riskless. You can lose money. You can lose your whole investment. So I I really felt sick to my stomach while this guy was speaking. And I realized, first of all, that he was being, at the very least, disingenuous and at the worst, potentially misleading and lying to these people. And most of them didn't have a lot of money and were looking for what I would say is a get rich quick kind of scheme. And this way, this guy was talking, fit that, fit that mold. So I went home that night and that board, or at least half the board was staring back at me, make everybody in this room financially free. And I I couldn't sleep that Sunday night and it just kept on staring back at me. And I, I realized that, that was my true goal, helping everybody in that room and, and more. And it was a non-sequitur. My goal had nothing to do with my obstacle, raising more money for my fund. So I literally went into my office the next morning, sent an email to all my investors telling them I'm shutting it down, I'm shutting down my fund. I'm giving them money back because I had found my true purpose. And that's why I shut down my fund.
1: Wow, that's an amazing story, Joel. That's, that's really interesting. You were really truly called to your destiny, it sounds like.
0: I, I definitely was. And, and, of course, my lawyer wasn't happy, but uh, we, we worked over the rest of 2016 to to shut down the fund and sell, sell the securities and, and wind down. But, you know, it's taken a while to, to actually do you know wind down the fund and start this up but it's it, it feels right it, it definitely when I was writing that down on the wooden board, I felt so it felt so right it,
1: uh-huh.
0: it just felt like this this is wow, this is really what i'm supposed to be doing being of service to others, which I talk about in chapter one of the book just I really didn 't feel like I, I was being of service to others by managing the hedge fund, but now I do.
1: Yeah, definitely on to your next chapter in your life for sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, mindful money management? What What is that and how can people apply that to their lives?
0: Another great question. So mindful money man- management is being present. It's being aware of what's going on in your investments. They could be stocks, they could be bonds, they could be real estate. It could be any investment, currencies or commodities, but being aware of what's going on and being aware of what's going on in the overall marketplace for your investment. So it's, and it's making decisions that you have faith in, that you have strong belief in. I, I go through a lot of this with my clients talk, talking about beliefs and in investments. And if you're being mindful, you're confident in the value. You, you know what the value of the investment should be over the long and that really gives you a distinct advantage compared to people who are professional investors who have to care about weekly or monthly performance and some of them even care about daily performance so it's it's not staring at the stock screen every day and trying to make a little bit of money on a small move but it's doing the analysis working with maybe working with a prosperity coach to know what the company's worth under different types of scenarios so not acting in fear acting in absolute faith that you know what the true value is and so you take advantage of opportunities here's just one example that happened recently two guys bought bitcoin on november 27 2017 One guy had done his research, had absolute faith. He knew it was worth a lot more than the $8,000 that it was on that day. And a second guy bought it that that day, but he was given a tip by a friend. Didn't have any real faith in the investment. And on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is massive doubt and 10 is absolute faith and belief, he was probably a 3. The first guy was probably a 9 or a 10. And a few days later, Bitcoin's at 10000 They both made 25%. The first guy is absolute faith. See, says, see, I told you it was going higher. And the second guy says, oh, I hope it doesn't go back down. And just a few days later, it's back at 8000 The first guy says, wow, wow this is the best buying opportunity ever. And he buys more. And the second guy sells. He says, oh, thank God I got out just breaking even. Just three weeks later, bitcoin's at nineteen thousand. The first guy has made two hundred and fifty percent on his investment that's call it thirty times on an annual basis. He sells he's ecstatic, but he knew he was going to make money. The second guy is on to another investment where he's also scared about losing money so the point is being mindful is is having faith, doing your work up front and and having knowing what your belief level is and having a plan so you're not scared when your security, whatever it is, your investment goes down, but having a plan so that when something appears to be wrong, it's actually an opportunity if you have that right mindset.
1: Yeah, I love the way you, you juxtapose the faith and the fear because you, you really explained that well. And I was going to ask you about um, how, how somebody can use their intuition to make money. Is that the same thing as what you just described?
0: I think belief is, and, and faith versus doubt is, is different. Faith, you know, doubt and fear versus faith and belief. To me, intuition is, is going deeper. It's your higher self or your sixth sense. And it's really listening to that sixth sense and to help you make money. I talk about this in my book in chapter 14 when I talk about trusting your gut, trusting your intuition. And you can ask yourself questions or go into a meditative state to figure out if what you're feeling is really your intuition or is it because you're being fearful or scared. And sometimes it is truly hard to distinguish I actually talk about this also in my book that most money managers and I I doubt I haven't really heard this from other portfolio managers talking about fear, but it happens all the time. Just a few weeks ago, the the market was down four and a half percent of the stock market, and many money managers were just selling their investments out of fear rather than using their intuition and knowing that this is just the normal correction. It's not a crash. And there are many ways to develop your intuition. I talk about this in my financial freedom course on, on manifesting. But there are many ways to develop your intuition to help you make money.
1: That's that's really interesting. And it it's... Um... I was just thinking I wish that more people in my in like government, for example, would be more mindful and less reactive. You know, it's that the fear and being reactive seems very closely tied as opposed to being mindful and, and proactive in planning and planning and all of that. So anyway, that that was just a thought that popped up in my my head. But I wanted to ask you about happiness and gratitude and how that is tied into making money. Uh, why is that state of mind so important?
0: Yes, I talk about this a lot as well on my book, Ellen. So I think it's chapter eight I introduced the concept of happiness, And it, it's, it's not the best example, but it, it sets the stage. And after the first great six months we had managing money, as I mentioned, we were up 20 percent annualized in, in 2013. 2014 was not didn't start great, and it, it was an up and down kind of market and an up and down performance for me. And I, I realized it was unbelievable, unbelievable. But I realized when things weren't going great, when we were losing money, my happiness was conditional on if we were making money. Mm. And if Mm. I was making money for investors, I was happy. And if I lost money, I was unhappy. And it's a really terrible way to live your life. But it took me a number of months after that to realize that that's what was going on because it's such a terrible way to live your life because even the greatest money managers are wrong close to half the time. So imagine being unhappy because your happiness is conditional on making money and you're going to be unhappy half the time. And I think most people live their life with happiness being conditional. You're happy if you get a raise. If you don't, you're unhappy. If you get that great parking spot outside the building in Manhattan that you're driving to, you're happy. All day long, people live their life being conditionally happy. And I talk later in the book about feeling good now. And my example was August of 2015. It was the first time in my career I took two weeks off in a row as a hedge fund manager. Wow, one week I went one week, I went to Croatia with a friend of mine who's another investor, and he's he's actually a very calm, cool soul. And the other week I was with my daughters in Pennsylvania and Hershey Park and other amusement parks. Most days, I wasn't looking at the Blackberry. I wasn't I was actually being present. And enjoying my time on vacation, either in Croatia or being present with my daughters on the rides and swimming. And In 2015, in that month of August, my fund was up over three percent. The stock market had significant problems. It was down 6.8% and that, partly because of China devaluing the one about three percent. But the point being that I was Completely, just in, in bliss. A lot of the, those weeks, just feeling blissful, just being grateful that I was where I was, either with my daughters or overseas, and just having a great time. And I realized that if you're you can be ind- you can be happy independent of losing or making money. And it was a revelation. And and I create my happiness. And I go through in the book a lot of different what I call Happy habits. Uh, we, Mike Dooley is in, in his infinite possibilities talks about some of these, and I, I've added some and have the ones that I use. But there are many things you can do to be happy, unconditional with physical reality. That that will create your own happiness, and it's different for different people. It can be just you know giving hugs or going for a walk in the sun, exercising, but Figure out what your happy habits are and do them to create unconditional happiness.
1: Happiness is a choice. You know, I think people don't realize that. And what you said about, you know, people are going to be happy if they have any number of things happen or if they hit a certain number of their bank account or the scale of the bathroom scale or, you know, it it is so common. And I think you bring up such a good point. It's interesting hearing it tied to wealth, but certainly something to be mindful of.
0: Absolutely. So happiness and gratitude, which to me go hand in hand. I talk about gratitude. I have a whole chapter on gratitude in chapter seven. And the law of attraction says that whatever you put out, you get. So the more you're grateful for, the more things come into your life to be grateful about. And so I started writing down in 2012 I have a gratitude journal and I started writing down every morning when I woke up, what I'm grateful for. And every night when I go to sleep, I write down what I'm grateful for. And it doesn't have to be profound. You could just write down, you know, I, I, I didn't really talk about my daughters, but uh, my daughters, Lauren and Morgan are now 14 and 12 as of a couple of weeks ago. I just write down, I'm grateful for Lauren and Morgan almost, you know, pretty much every day I write down, I'm grateful for them. It doesn't, you know, you can be grateful for the, for getting up in the morning, or the sun shining, or the, or it's snowing. I mean, you can, you can be grateful for little things, and I've just found that it really does make more things come into my life to be grateful for.
1: I just heard Oprah talking about this, and she said, if all else fails, just come down to breath, and be grateful that you can breathe, and, and we have clean air, you know, it's, it's such a simple thing, but, um... You know, it's it's one of those things that you don't really think about unless you can't. <laughs> so, um. Right.
0: If you can be if you can stay grateful all day every day. I guess Abraham Hicks says that the feeling is actually grateful feeling is equivalent to the energy and vibration of amazing feelings of love and gratitude, love and appreciation. So if you stay grateful all day every day, it's like you're expressing the feeling of love all all day every day, which is incredibly powerful.
1: And which is what you then attract to you. you you've you given us so many wonderful tips. And I just wonder if, is there something else that um, specifically that you might offer up for someone getting started out in their career? You know, think back to your 20-year-old self or to the, the kids that are coming out of college now. Um, I really like speaking to this age group and um, I'm always curious what Um, what people would say to them, because, you know, now that we're older, we have a little bit of knowledge or wisdom, um, maybe can help, help somebody have a smoother path. Does anything come to mind?
0: I think my biggest tip would be to doubt the doubt. I mean, we have fears and doubts all day, every day, maybe more when you're younger than older, but to doubt the doubt. Why is the doubt right? You can There's going to be a lot of people probably that are doubting you. Sometimes they're your closest friends and family, but why is the doubt right? You can, if you think big, you can overcome that doubt and achieve your dreams.
1: Yeah. So dream bigger. I think that's the, one of the core messages of this interview. Yes. So absolutely. Well, Joel, we're about out of time. Um, I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing with us and ask what is the best way for people to reach out to you or to get in touch with you.
0: So my website is S A L A U R M O R dot com, And they can reach me there. The book is available on the website, book is also available on amazon.com again it's mindful money management memoirs of a hedge fund manager and they can reach me there they can reach me at joel at solomore.com as well that's j-o-e-l at salaurmo
1: joel thank you for being on the show today it was a pleasure speaking with you Thank you all for listening to today's show. My guest host, Joel Salomon, he is the author of the best selling book, Mindful Money Management Memoirs of a Hedge Fund Manager. You can find links to Joel's book and to his web and social media pages on our website, ReadySetGrit.com. Thanks again, and join us again next Friday when we have another fabulous guest on and talk about turning your daydreams into a phenomenal success.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit. Your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our ebooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit. Inspired actions, real results.